If you've got your Bibles there, open up to Romans chapter 13. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that you love us, that you're a God of love. And Lord, we want to walk in that love. We want to walk in relationship and obedience to you. Lord, we want to see your overflow in our lives, that you are glorified through us. Lord, I pray today that these words be life. Let them be your words. Let them challenge us, heal us, make us more like Jesus. Father, you're glorified. Holy Spirit, come have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 13, verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. If you've got your app open on your phone, make sure you're using the New King James because the NIV doesn't quite grab it. All right, The NIV actually waters this down a little bit. If you want to go back to what it really says to get a really more accurate, either pull the Amplified up or pull up um, the New King James or even the King James if you're really into the these and nows. Because what it says is to owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. I want to look at the next couple of verses first and then actually come back and pull that verse apart a bit. So it goes on to say, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, all are summed up in one saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is a choice. All right, today's world tells you you can fall into love, you can fall out of love, you can fall over love, you can fall under love. But love's just falling everywhere and, you know, coming up to Valentine's Day, it's all about how you fall. But love is a choice. You actually choose to love. It's not an emotion. If it was an emotion, then Jesus would not have felt love when he died on the cross. Because his response was in the garden before he went, he said, Father, if there's any way, other way around this, I'll take it. But not my will, but your will be done. In other words, I don't really want to get beaten up. I don't really want to get hung on a cross and nailed there. But I am willing to do that for love. It's not an emotion, right? And so if you find you're falling out of love, then you have to make a choice to fall back into love. Love is not an emotion, it's a person. Love is Jesus. Jesus is love. And when you have Jesus in you, you have love and you have the capacity to love everybody, regardless of what they've done. And you may sit there and think, but you don't know what's happened to me. You don't know the situation. You don't know what that person did. No, but God does. And God also knows what we've done to him. He knows where we've failed him, where we've let him down, where we've done the wrong thing. And yet he still chooses to love us unconditionally. And so we have that choice to also love unconditionally. It's a choice. Regardless of how you feel, it's a choice. Feelings, emotions, they'll follow your choice. You know, to make light of it, you can choose to follow a footy team. And when you make that choice, your feelings and emotions eventually will follow that feeling. I have a friend who's a Richmond supporter. I still don't know why. And every year he goes, at the end of the season, you know, maybe I should change teams. Maybe it's about time I change teams. But he never does. Because he makes a choice and then his emotions follow them. And every year he gets let down. But you make a choice. And you make a choice to follow a sporting team and your emotions then follow. And then 
it's, it's a choice. And if you actually chose to follow another team, eventually your emotions would follow. Right? It's the same with people. If you choose to love somebody, then your emotions follow that. If you choose not to because of what they do or how they act or whatever it is, then your emotions will follow. But, you know, even if someone wrongs you and you choose to love them, your emotions will eventually follow because it's a choice. Because love is, is not a feeling, it's a person. When you choose to walk and act like Jesus would walk and act, you choose love. And that's why it says, it says here, but it says over in Matthew, Jesus said, look, everything in the Bible is summed up in two things. One is love God with your whole being and every part of your life. And the other one, as Paul says here, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a choice. I choose to love God. And I choose to love the people he puts around me. And sometimes it's those who are closest to us. It's hardest to love, yeah? You know, because they needle us the most. They get under our skin. As Dale says, they know how to push our buttons. Yeah? And yet we have to make a choice to walk in love. What does it mean to walk in love? It means to actually deny yourself and preference them. You know, Jesus used two examples. One he said is, is you know, back in those days, a Roman soldier could come along and grab any civilian, take if they had, you know, because they had to travel from one place to another, they had to walk. And they could actually take their whole backpack, all their gear, they would say to the civilian, take this, and they could make that civilian walk one mile. That was the law. So they'd give you all your stuff, didn't matter what you were doing, you had to leave all that, take all this Roman soldier stuff, and walk one mile with that soldier. At the end of the mile, you could put the stuff down, and he'd grab somebody else. They'd pick up all the stuff and they'd walk the next mile. And Jesus said, if you want to walk in love, if someone does that to you, walk the second mile. Now walking that one mile was actually hard work because they carried a whole lot of stuff. You carried their armor, you carried all their backpack and all their goods. They took everything with them. You carried all that for a mile. It was hard. Jesus says, don't just go one, go two. What he's saying is, don't just do what's comfortable for you. Go to what is uncomfortable. That's love. When you actually have to choose to do it, even though you don't want to, even though if it inflicts on your rights and what you want, that's when you walk in love. When you do what's expected of you or what you're supposed to do, so you're just doing what you're supposed to do. When you take that second mile, that's when you walk in love. He went on to say, you have someone comes along and they want to take your coat, give them your shirt also. He says, don't just give them what they're asking of you, go above and beyond and give them more. That might be a bit more difficult as a female to give you a shirt, but you know, you get the point of the story. Don't just give what's being asked of you. Go to what is uncomfortable. Go to what actually costs you. That's when you walk in love, not when you do what is just expected. In your job, if you just do what's expected, then you're doing what's expected. When you go beyond and actually serve beyond into what's uncomfortable, that's when you step into love. In your home life, dealing with your family, and you do what's expected, that's okay. It's when you go beyond that, you walk in love with your neighbor, with the people in your world. I mean, Jesus went so far to say to bless those who curse you, who speak evil of you. He says, bless them and do good things for them. Pray for them. That's walking in love. That's the only debt that God says we have. He says, oh, no one anything except the debt of love. In other words, the debt of love is never paid for us. Jesus has paid our love. But our debt of love, as long as we're walking here on earth, is still owed. In other words, we always should be walking in love. Just because you walked in love this morning doesn't mean you have to walk in love this afternoon. Just because you serve somebody this morning doesn't mean you have to ser- don't have to serve anyone this afternoon. It's always owed. We always need to be paying love. Is it inconvenient? Yes. 
Is it uncomfortable? Absolutely. But then so is the cross. And that's the love that Jesus gave for us. Are you okay with that? One person. Cool. Are we not okay with that? Who's not feeling comfortable anymore? <laughs> All right. I actually want to go back to that first verse now. We talked about verse 8. And talk about the first part where he says, Oh, no, and anything. What Paul is writing here when you pull this apart is he is saying, Don't go into debt. Avoid debt always, except the debt of loving your neighbor. That's a really big statement because you're thinking about how you're supposed to buy a car if you don't go into debt. How you're supposed to buy a house if you don't go into debt. How are you supposed to get anywhere in life if you don't go into debt? Because we are educated to believe that the only way forward is to take out a loan and pay down that loan and then take out another one and pay that one down and take out another one and pay that one down and that's how you get ahead in life. But actually, that's the Babylonian economy. That's the world economy. God has a different economy. He says, in fact, the only debt you should ever owe is one of love because God knows that when you have debt, you owe somebody and you spend your life beholden to them. They have a control over you. You may say, well, they don't have any control over you. Well, don't pay your debt this month. You got a mortgage? Don't make the payments. In fact, don't make them for three months because at 90 days, life gets really serious. Because you'll find probably on every contract you've got for debt that at 90 days, the walls come tumbling down and the debtors come collecting and they start doing things like changing locks on your houses, repossessing cars, those sorts of things. You give someone control of your life when you are in debt to them. Because you see what happens is then you start thinking about, oh, I've got to make the mortgage payment. I've got to make the car payments. I've got to make the credit card payments, whatever it is. And the bill comes in. And I, mean, I don't know about you, but you know, when you get a bill, I don't ever jump for joy around the lounge room. Yeah, I've got a bill. You sort of go, oh, it's a downer, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we, we get a new house or a new car and we celebrate that for a month until the first payment's due. One month is all it takes. And suddenly, oh, man, I've got to pay for this thing. You know, it's fantastic until that point because we know that we owe and therefore our life is controlled by what we owe. So God knew what he was saying. He also knew that it's actually bad economy. Do you know, if you bought a car for about 30000 over five years, depending on your interest rates and the arrangements and so on, you could end up paying anywhere from ten to about $20,000 in interest on that car. So your $30,000 car, which is devaluing every day you have it, could end up costing you anything up to $50,000. So you're saying the value of that car to you is $50,000, which is not really what you thought when you signed it up, was it? You were bargaining for a better deal. You thought it was great when you got a couple of grand knocked off. Or they tinted the windows for you or put a tow bar or whatever it is. But in reality, they know you're going to get a whole lot more out of you. It's even more scary with a house. If you bought a house for about half a million dollars, so $500,000, and you pay that off over your 25, 30 years, you end up paying anywhere between two dollars and $300,000 extra. On average, you will pay another half. So your $500,000 house, you're saying, is worth $750,000 when you move in. Not exciting, is it? Think of what you could do with an extra $250,000 in your pocket. All right? See? No debt, no worries. So what God is saying is, hey, there's a smarter way. But how do you get a house? How do you get a car without debt? How do you do it? All right, I'm not saying I've done it. I've done it with a car once. All right? So I'm now doing it with a car. I'm working on a house. You do it by faith. Now, that's easy to say, 
The reality is you sit there and go, but what does that work? How does that work? It works the way faith works in everything. <coughs> Luke 6.38 says, if you give, it's given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, is it poured into your lap? Philippians 4.19 says, God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. John 15 says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you will and it'll be done. God's will is for you to ask him to provide it. That's his will. Now, unfortunately, we've got this whole mentality that you know, we keep talking about all the way through that, that you know, we can't ask God for this because it's just material stuff and we shouldn't ask for material stuff and that's wrong and you know, we should be just asking for spiritual stuff and, and you know, that's just fleshly stuff and we're satisfying the thing of the flesh. Yes, you've got to watch out for covetousness, which Paul talks about in that passage in Romans 13. He says, do not covet. In other words, stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, don't look at your neighbor and go, wow, they got a nice new four-wheel drive. Whoa, gee, my car looks a bit old now looking next to that. You know, gee, I better go out and get a new car. And so we get further into debt. You know, then some kid walks along and says, you're going to need a bigger boat. So you get a bigger boat. And suddenly, you know, I mean, I can remember one young couple that were in a, in a church room a few years ago. I we went to visit them and... We walked into their, and they would have been all of 21, we walked into their four by two brand new house, you know, and it was just furnished to the hilt with everything. And I'm thinking, wow, it's got everything here. And then about 10 minutes into the conversation, we come to see them because they asked us to, and they were stressed out because they owed for every single item in their house. Because their thinking was, we have to have it all. We have to look like we've got it all. And so everything was on debt everything and they were struggling to get by that's what covetousness does to covet to say i would need to have what everyone else has got i've got to have it because they've got it and when you have that mentality of i've got to have it now you go into debt and that's what debt's for the i've got to have it now mentality and that's how it marketed i've got to have it now you watch tv what's it all about no, here's this sale. It finishes in five days. You're going to come down, rush down. And by the way, we'll even put it on finance. You have to pay for 18 months, 24 months. Heck, we'll go five years. We'll have to pay a cent. No interest. And it looks fantastic, doesn't it? Until you get your first payment and then your second payment. And then suddenly it's like, whoa. Because that's not how God designed it. Think about it. If you had to wait six months for your house... But you could have that house debt-free. Would it be worth the six-month wait? If you had to wait 18 months to get your nice new four-wheel drive, would it be worth the 18-month wait? I know with our car. You know, we, when God told us to start believing for a car, he said, what do you want? And I sort of started going, oh, well, this is what I need. And God said, no, what do you want? And I went, well, what I'd really love is I'd like a, a Prado. I don't want the base model. I want the grande, the top model, but I don't want the leather seats. All right? I want it fully tinted. I want full bar work. I want dual air conditioning. This is before you know, iPods and everything else. So I wanted a six-stack of CD. And I went through it and I made a list of everything I wanted. I wanted a two-tone. And God said, okay, ask me for it. So I asked him for it. He said, cool, now give your car away as a seed. Oh, well, that's not fair. <laughs> but we did. We gave our car away as a seed, the car that we had. And we had no car. For months. No car for months. And then a point came, check arrived in the mail. There was one car in the state that matched exactly what I wanted, and it was even the right colour. 
And so I went and bought it cash. Was it worth waiting the months? Did I remember the months of waiting? No, because I had my new car. I had my Prado, full tinted windows, full bar work, six stack of CD, dual air, and I drove it and it was fantastic. That's what faith does. Faith finds a way where there is no way. And sure, it took longer than someone going down that day to some car yard, taking out a nice big loan and buying the car. But mine got paid off quicker because they're still paying five years later. I'm not. See, that's how God's system works. He says, if you want something, you sow a seed towards it. You give towards it. And I'll give to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. That's how I want to do it. He says, I actually want to bless you and prosper you. Stop going into debt and trying to make it happen your way because that's not my way. But actually start to put the word of God in. See, if you want salvation, how do you get saved? You hear the word of God, you believe it, and you receive salvation. Isn't that right? That's how you become a Christian. Healing is the same. If you need healing, you hear the word of God and to the point where you believe it and you receive healing. You know, some people don't get saved when the first time they hear the word of God. Sometimes they hear it over and over again until the point where faith comes into their life and then they make a decision and they receive salvation because they come to a point of believing. It's the same with healing. Sometimes people don't have it until they hear the word of God over and over and they come to a point of believing and then they receive their healing. It works the same with finances. When you hear the word of God around what God says about your finances, about believing and trusting in him, as you hear it over and over again, you come to a point where you believe and then you receive. It's the same principle because God's kingdom works on that principle of faith. Faith is hearing the word of God because faith comes by hearing, Romans tells us, and hearing the word of God. And if you hear the word of God, you don't have faith for it, saying, oh, I'm still struggling with that, then go and hear it again and go and hear it again and again and again and again in the morning and even the evening. Put it in, put it in, put it in until you come to the point where you actually believe what God's word says. Then you can receive. Because he says to you, if you say to this mountain, be cast in the sea and do not doubt in your heart, but believe, it'll be done. He says in John 15, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. In other words, the word is taking precedence over everything else. Then you can ask whatever you want and it will be done. You see, God put this system in place because he wants us to have a deeper relationship with him. And if we're running off and doing it the world's way, then we're not spending time with him. We're not putting his word in because God and his word are one. And when you put the word of God in, in the morning, in the evening, you can't help but be putting God in and building your relationship with him. And that builds faith and brings about the result because you start to think like God thinks. That's what the word does is changes how you think. It works for salvation. You thought there was a way of life, that you just went through life, you died and that was it. And then suddenly someone told you about Jesus and they spoke the word of God to you and you went, wow, this is fantastic. And you believed and you received salvation. And then you went, well, And so you read the Word of God and you heard the Word of God that says that by Jesus' stripes you are healed and you went, wow, this is fantastic, and you got healed. It's the same with financial breakthrough. And if you have a need, you can go to God and say, my God supplies all my needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And wow, He supplies because you've changed how you think. And we are supposed to be representatives of Jesus. And we're not very good ones. The church is doing a lousy job overall of representing Jesus because it's, I heard this great story yesterday, let me tell it to you. It's like there's a guy 
who, you know, he owns, he owns the town pretty well. You know, he owns the, the mine, he owns the mill, he owns the farms. You know, um, you know, in America, when they first settled, people would go and, you know, if they struck oil, they would actually own the whole town. You know, they would, they would build the town and people would come and live there to, to service the oil field that was running there. And, you know, they'd build the shop, and they'd, but they'd own the shop and someone would work for them in the shop. And, you know, they'd, they'd build the hotel and, and people would run the hotel for them. And, and they'd do benevolent things like they'd build the hospital for that region, looking after the people. And it's like in, in the UK when they had, you know, the lords of the manor and they would own everything around them and they would build it. And obviously all the wealth went to them because they owned it all. But can you imagine someone in that position that they're the lord of the town, they're the ones that owns, it, owns everything and everything else, and their kids rock up to school and they're wearing rags and they've got holes in their shoes. And it doesn't matter how much good that guy done in building the hospital and you know, looking after the town and building a great town and taking care of people, if his kids rocked up in the middle of winter you know, wearing ragged little shorts and half a T-shirt and, you know, shoes with holes in them, you'd be thinking, what sort of a guy is this? Can't even take care of his kids. And you would think dishonorable thoughts about him because you're thinking he's not looking after his own children. He's got all this wealth. He's not even taking care of his own children. And so you go to the guy's house and you say, what's going on? You need to take better care of your kids. And he says, come with me. And he takes you into the children's room and he opens up their cupboards and there's piles and piles of clothes in there and there's piles of shoes, everything they'd ever need. He says, I can't get them to wear the good clothes. They keep putting on the shoes with holes in them. They keep wearing the rags out in the street. The church is the children. We are the children. And we have a God who is a God of blessing and wealth. But we keep putting on the, the rags and we keep putting on the shoes with the holes in them because we're not good enough, we're not worthy. Oh, I can't do that. Because the world says, oh, it's not good enough. But we've got a God who supplies all our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He says, hey, hang out with me. You can ask whatever you want and it'll be done with you, done for you. Because you see, we represent him. We're his children, we're his ambassadors. And when we don't accept his goodness, we dishonor him. Imagine Joseph. You know, Joseph was given the coat of many colors by his father. And his brothers all got jealous. If Joseph had said, well, I don't want to upset my brothers. You know, I don't want them to, to feel bad about this. So, so oh, nice coat, but I'll just leave it in the cupboard where it'll stay nice and safe. And, and then I won't upset anybody. What would his father have felt? You see, when Joseph wore the coat, he honored his father. See, we're too determined. The world says the church can't have this. Oh, you're a Christian. You should be poor. Oh, this is how you should live. And the world dictates saying this is how your life should be. You have to be part of our system. You have to have your debts. God says, no, I've got a better system. You're my children. You're my ambassadors. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. You don't belong there. You're of my kingdom. And my kingdom has a better way of going. You don't have to have debt. You just need to abide in me. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 6. It's really important if you've got your Bible to, see, to look at it. Because you can hear it, but it's important to see it with your eyes. Because this is about changing how you think. And Matthew 6 is a lot about, you know, where your heart is, about worrying, about trying to serve God and serving money. And having money doesn't mean you serve money. Actually, not having money usually means you serve money. Because you're trying to get money to live. And money becomes your goal. Have you noticed that? People without money are the ones who don't have the choices because they're still trying to get money. It's actually people who have money who can make the choices. But even if you have money, you can still be serving money 
Because, I mean, I can remember working in the bank and it didn't matter whether people had money or no money, people were the same. My accountant said to me when I first started at the bank, and he says, there's two things you got to remember, that the most important two things in people's lives is money in their life and they're in that order. And I thought he was joking until I served on the front counter. And watching people with millions of dollars in their account getting upset over a $2 discrepancy. And yes, it's not just a one-off occurrence, constantly. And then people without money getting upset about things that they shouldn't be worrying about because they've got bigger worries. It didn't matter how much they had, it was how they thought about money. That's what the love of money is. It's how you approach it. Does money control you? Because it's not about how much you've got, it's about how much has got you. But Jesus had a solution. He says, verse 25, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what your body, what you'll put on. Is life, life's more than food. It's more than clothing. To look at the birds, they don't care. They just go and do their stuff, right? 28, don't worry about clothing. You see the leaves of the field. They just grow. They don't have to do anything. And yet they're resplendent and Solomon doesn't look anything like them. He says to verse 30, Now if God who clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Therefore don't worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Where shall we live? What shall we drive? What's my stereo like? For after all these things... The Gentiles seek. In other words, those who don't know God, they seek all this stuff. But he says, but your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. He knows what you need. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So it's seek God first and his way of living, and he'll add these things. But you need to at least every morning, every night, take the word of God and speak it over your life. Download the 50 days of prosperity. The verses are all through there. And make a decision every morning and every night to put it in, to push yourself out of debt and into blessing. Father, I pray for every person here in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that that will be good soil. Lord, I speak against the enemy who comes immediately to steal, to kill and to destroy, and we rebuke you in the name of Jesus. We submit ourselves to God, to his teaching and to his way. And the word of God says when we submit to you, We resist the devil and he has to flee. So we submit ourselves to you, Jesus Christ. We submit ourselves to the word and what it teaches around finances and around debt. And we make a choice individually and together to no longer have debt in our lives, but to walk according to the financial principles of the Bible. That we will walk in freedom and blessing and wealth. And even when the storms of life come and shipwrecks come our way, We will continue to walk in faith and in love for all that you have for us to do. Lord, I bless every person here. Lord, I bless them with your wealth and your prosperity. Lord, that they'll be rich in every way so they can be generous on every occasion. That you will be glorified through our lives. That you will be honored through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.